0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: You know, there's no openly gay players in AFLs, in, in basketball. We, we'll, uh, There's no openly gay basketball. So um, I think it's not until someone's, you know, there are representing that community that they feel that they need to do something. And that's probably not the way it should be, but that's just sport. I mean, I think... A lot of other industries are moving so fast forward in this uh, field and I think sports is just a little bit behind.
3: So when a professional sports person comes out, it makes headlines around the world. So, why? And what does it tell us about how much work still needs to be done in order to allow people to be their true selves and not hide their identity from their sports mates or sports fans? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co host today, ABC Features reporter Matilda Morozzi. Matilda, we just heard a grab there of basketballer Isaac Humphreys. He was speaking with our Drive presenter, Raphael Epstein, towards the end of last year. And I started to think, you know, if it's such a big deal for Isaac to come out and the fact that we already know that there are no openly gay male AFL footballers, then where does that leave our grassroots sport, our local sport? Are they in a a worse state or a better state when it comes to people being proud of who they are and how comfortable they feel to be who they are?
4: Yeah, and I'd love to hear from people who are involved in their local clubs to see what it's like for them, if they're comfortable being out or not, And one thing I found really interesting, just in the last week, there was a feature about Isaac Humphries and what that process was like coming out, and it was really kind of heartrending. and you saw how hard it was and why there aren't many professional sports people that come out during their playing careers. And what I found really interesting was what was said by David McFarland. He was an American national level distance swimmer, remained in the closet while competing but came out afterwards, and now he helps professional sports people come out, including Isaac, and said he speaks to closeted players all around the world, including Australia. When he was asked, well, you know, out of the top five big professional sports in Australia... He said he'd had conversations with athletes Mm. in all of them, AFL, NRL, rugby, cricket. And it made me think, so what's happening in those environments that there's closeted players who aren't comfortable bringing their full selves to work? We obviously
3: still have issues if that's the case. And many people may say and have said to Isaac, well, why come out? What does it matter? Who cares? And Raf put that question to him, and this was Isaac's response.
2: The response is a lot of people care. You may not, but a lot of people who are, who have who don't have a voice and have no representation care a lot. And there's a whole community of people that would just love somebody to fly their flag within a a, a category or like a sport that that they love as well. And yeah, people there there are a lot of people saying, "Who cares?" Like. I don't know if that comes from a good or bad place, you know, because nowadays it shouldn't really matter. You shouldn't have to proclaim your sensuality to the world, but I have to, and we have, we have to. And that's just the situation that I was, that I'm in. And to answer your question blatantly, yeah, a lot of people care. That's who cares. A lot of people.
3: So today we'll be looking into a study into homophobia and homophobic behaviour in sport. What works and what doesn't in reducing harmful and offensive language and behaviour? And which clubs are making inroads? Do you still hear homophobic language at your local sporting club? Do things like ambassadors and pride rounds make a difference in reducing homophobic behaviour in sport?
5: On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
3: This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Matilda Morozzi, with you, looking into homophobia in sport. And I think you summed it up before, Matilda, in saying that it feels like in so many other parts of our world, so many other workplaces, schools even, we are progressing. Yet for some reason sport feels like it's lagging behind. And I wonder if that's just at a professional level, if it's just male sport, or if the similar issues are being had at grassroots levels.
4: Yeah, because I've noticed, uh, you know, in the last few years, you've seen a huge growth in women's teams being introduced to traditionally male sports, whether it be the AFLW or women's cricket teams. And from what I've seen From the outside, it seems like there's more openly queer people in women's sport, and I wonder if that's making a difference to these previously male-dominated clubs and and the culture there.
3: Well, someone whose life work is pretty much asking all of these questions and leading research on this for years now, if not maybe decades, is Eric Dennison, lead researcher, sport inclusion, as well as Project Behavioural Science Laboratory at Monash University. You've just recently finished another study, and this is a landmark study of homophobic language in men's sport. It's been published just recently in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Eric, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour. This is your life's work and we'll, we'll pull apart the research today and what you've discovered and the teams and the sports clubs that you've been working with who we have in the studio with us today. But... I guess let's go back to your story and maybe a part of the reason why you've conducted this research. You said in grade nine, you felt like you became the devil, that you went from Mr. Popular to Mr. Non-Person. What do you mean by that?
1: And thanks, thank you for your interest in this topic. You know, I think it's, it's, it's important to talk about these things because we often run into that. They, we call them the who cares brigade, right? Like, why is this a matter? Why should I care? and um you know i'm lucky because at monash university there's a lot of people many of them are not even gay who care about this and the reason is because we just know so many kids are still experiencing similar things as i did so many years ago right so you know we're living in 2023 and kids are still experiencing abuse in sport and for me what happened was i played a lot of sport as a kid and i love sport you know and it was fun it was good but i always did feel a little bit on the out with teams. Um, And so we moved to a new school and it was a predominantly Christian school. And I I was in the closet and I had girlfriends and I broke up with one of my girlfriends and said, you know, I think I'm bi. And she outed me to the entire school. And the soccer team that I was playing on, it was like instantaneous. I just, people stopped talking to me. And it was really because it was a couple of guys on the team who were... You know, the jerks, right? That we've all, if you've played sport, you know those characters. There's a few of them. Everyone just kind of tolerates them because you can't really get rid of them. Um, they're maybe good at their sport, but there was those guys. And because they were arcing up, everyone else didn't do anything. Um, and so I was abused uh, relentlessly. I, I left this, this the, that team. But then, of course, in PE class, you can't escape. Right. So it was like endless abuse in the locker rooms and before PE class in the changing rooms. And, and I guess what's devastating to me is we continue to hear the exact same story as this from countless children who are coming out today. And you think, what is going on? Why is this occurring? Like we need to stop it.
4: And Eric, I think when you complain to the school about the physical and the verbal abuse in the end they said oh maybe you should stop doing PE class and you just stop doing sport altogether for some time is that
1: right yeah and that's the most mind-blowing thing is that is happening right now at schools all around Australia and around the world like we consistently hear that coming up in interviews with LGBTQ plus kids um, when you ask them about their sport experiences and so you know schools don't know what to do about this problem because they can't put parents In the changing room, or sorry, teachers in the changing room, so they don't know how to protect the kids in these changing rooms. They don't want to build separate changing rooms, so they just tell the kids don't come to PE class, and that is just the worst thing to do for a kid. Right? Your job as an adult is to protect these children, not push the the problem away, make them the problem.
4: Well, it's really clearly telling you there that you're not welcome in this sporting environment if you're outed as gay. That to me is a kind of message that's being sent to you as a 14 year
1: old there yeah one of the most mind-blowing stats was this in testament to um victorians because we really lead the world in this area so beyond blue the depression charity they funded research that's just you know groundbreaking and they surveyed uh it was a national study of kids in in australia 98 percent of them had heard homophobic language being used in pe class so just 2% had not heard this language in PE class. And they said teachers weren't doing anything to stop this. So it was just pervasive. And interesting. they, they weren't using that language in other parts of the school. Seems to only be in PE class. And when we've been teaching PE teachers, so I go and lecture to PE teachers, a lot of them are athletes, right? This is all normal to them. This is boys being boys, what you do in sport. So then they go out in the real world and they're teachers or coaches. And of course, they just accept it as normal. Whereas teachers, maybe in English or science, they don't view it as normal, right?
3: What I find fascinating as well, and we'll dig into this a little later, is that homophobic language is being used, whether it be in the... PE class or in sporting grounds but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is homophobic and that research that you've discovered there and earlier we played a grab from Isaac Humphreys when he's constantly asked well why does it matter who cares what does it matter what your sexuality is There's a text here that says, why does anyone need to declare their sexuality when the issue has nothing to do with their role? And why should you come out to represent your community? Isn't it personal choice? And aren't you entitled to privacy? What
1: do you think? So every single time someone in a sport environment talks about their weekend with their girlfriend or talks about girls or talks about anything, if I'm assuming they're male, if they're male, talking about anything to do with girls, they are coming out. That is them coming out. They just don't have to do it all the time. It's not a big deal when they talk about girls. So this idea that, oh, it's okay for us to come out every day all the time on our Insta, on our socials, but you, don't, you can't come out. You have to stay in the closet. And I think the most compelling thing was when Josh Cavallo came out, the soccer player, and he got death threats. So why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Because people who come out get death threats.
3: We did just on Wednesday a program on Mardi Gras and whether or not Mardi Gras matters and should corporates be involved in Mardi Gras. And there was a lot of contention around that. This is our space, you know, keep your corporate bucks out of it. But then a lot of people saying, no, it's important, even if it's tokenistic, to have corporates involved because it means I can be myself at my workplace. And they said exactly what you just said then, Eric. We had a caller saying, because people will all the time, if you're heterosexual, talk about my husband, my partner, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, and you... You need that confidence that you can speak as openly about your relationship as potentially 80% of the rest of your workplace. Eric Dennison is with you from Monash University, has been looking into a research study on homophobic language in men's community sport. It has just recently been published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, looking at what works and what doesn't and what sort of language is still being used in sporting arenas. Before we bring Rugby Victoria in, and we do have Neil Hay with us this morning as well, what were some of the main areas you looked at? So, for example, with Uh, Mardi Gras? Should corporates be involved? Is it tokenistic? What about pride rounds? What about things like ambassadors? Do they
1: help? Do they work? Until two years ago, we had no idea. Um, So Monash has been leading a range of different studies to answer those questions and it's important to emphasise that Homophobic and sexist language is typically used interchangeably in sports. So while we're talking specifically about homophobic, the reason is because if we can stop that, we'll stop the sexist because it's the homophobic is what boys care about because it's often directed toward them. Um, and so the the study that we did, we didn't know what could stop this behavior. We didn't even know why kids were using this behavior. Is it because they were homophobic? Did they not like gay people? Um, and what we found in the first studies is, no, they often have gay friends. They have close gay friends, they said. They don't have any measurable levels of homophobia. But then they're using this homophobic language constantly, like 60% of them. So what we wanted to test was, does education work? Right. People listening right now are probably thinking if you're a parent, I'm guessing you're thinking and if you have, you know, ideas of how we can fix this, (laughs) love to hear from you. But you're probably thinking, oh, why, why don't you just give the boys some education? Let them know that this is harmful behavior. Surely they'll stop, right? Um, so we had professional athletes go in to sports clubs. These, these amazing characters from the Melbourne Rebels put up their hand, traveled around Victoria, went to sport clubs, sat with kids between 16 to 20, um, so rugby union. Every single rugby club in the entire state participated. And sat with them for half an hour, explained that kids uh, attempt at suicide and self-harm at alarming rates if they're, they're gay, um, that the language is the key driver of this, that they really need to stop. Got them to say, yes, I'll stop using the language. Guess what happened after they left the club?
4: Seems like it should have gone down.
1: And people listening probably think that, well, surely the language went down. It went up. And it was a randomized controlled trial. So it went up in both groups. So the group that got no education, those clubs, it went up. And the group that got the education, it went up. And the reason is because this language is just so normal. It's like wallpaper in these environments. This and sexist language. that The boys didn't even know that they were using this language. So having the rebels come in made them notice their own behaviour and so it went up it didn't actually go up it just they noticed what they were doing
3: well let's speak to in just a moment the president and a player of that exact club that you're talking about but what's happening at your local club what are you hearing what are the good things but maybe there is still some awful language that you're witnessing and some behaviour that you're witnessing that you would like to see change
5: on abc radio melbourne and victoria
3: this is the conversation hour Rochelle Hunt and Matilda Morozzi with you today. Your guest as well, Eric Dennison. We're talking about homophobia in sport. Does it still exist in your local club? And what makes a difference to bad behaviour, to homophobic behaviour? Is it Pride Rounds? Is it Ambassadors? Is it Education? And you spoke about a trial that's been running and what's worked and what hasn't. Sitting beside you is Neil Hay, the President of Rugby Victoria. And Neil, you've been involved in rugby I think for, what, around 40 years in total?
6: More than that, yeah. More
3: than that. What makes a difference? I mean, Eric spoke about this randomised trial that was run. You were the former coach of Melbourne's gay rugby team, the Chargers. You've been really instrumental in trying to create change. What have you witnessed?
6: Um, Within the community of rugby players and the rugby world, we've seen a vast change, not just since... We've gone into the clubs, but since we brought the Melbourne Chargers into our family, into our fold as one of our clubs, to start with, I felt as their coach, there was a big reticence to play against them. There was anger from certain quarters in terms of homophobic language on both touchline and on the pitch. With the education of those clubs, not formal education, But going in, talking to their presidents, talking to their coaches, we were able to change that. And the clubs and the community embraced the Chargers. We found that there was a great deal of love for the Chargers. Did that
3: take a long time, though?
6: Certainly the first season was a lot harder when I was coaching them than thereafter. It took about a season for people to really start to appreciate that these guys are part of our community. Did they become a totem for them, for some yeah it, it, you know we we play teams from the navy the army at that stage and they were great at embracing the charges putting on barbecues and and using it as an education process subliminally maybe with their own players with their own coaches mm. so i think having them there is a really important thing and i think that for all those people that have said to me over the years isn't it better that we just accept them for who they are. We don't need a gay team. Well, until there is a, a uniquely f- yes. friendly environment, 100%, this creates their family. So this creates their safety net.
3: Because. I know we did a program on whether or not trans women should be allowed to play in traditional women's sport and to this day I think I still get trolled online for that particular program and for the confidence that some women had to speak out about it. And the question was, well, you know, can't they just have their own team? And I do think that sometimes segregation, is it necessarily the right thing to do? But you believe that it is.
6: Not necessarily segregation. I look forward to the day when the charges aren't needed, that our community just accepts everybody exactly as they are for what they are and that we're able to move forward in this um, everybody's out, as Eric was just referring to, straight people, they do it all the time without knowing they're doing it. Um, It's just part of their life, so they, they, they don't understand it when it is from a smaller area of the community, whatever the percentages are. We at the charges i didn't even know when i was coaching him had um a player who was trans it didn't make any difference we were interviewed back in i think it was 2014 about him we were just he was just our player and And, and he was loved for being just our player
4: and neil i wonder that was about was that about 12 years ago when you first were involved in the in the charges
6: around about yeah 11 12 years
4: and at the time um, why did you feel like it was necessary or good for you to be involved? It seems like for a lot of people it's in the too hard basket to try and make an inclusive and welcoming environment in sport and to um, show that it's a, a place for people whether they're they're straight or queer or however they ad- identify.
6: I don't know. The uh, I hadn't really thought about it at all when I got a phone call. I'd just given up another coaching role and I was actually retiring from coaching and I got a phone call from the chargers and they said would I coach them I didn't even think twice, I said look I'm retired from coaching, I'll just do a couple of years uh, sorry, a couple of weeks
1: <laughs> yada yada yada, a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> no, a couple, ended up and then six. you won a world cup They won the world cup of <laughs> gay rugby <laughs> and the largest rugby <laughs> trainer in the world He goes from oh, I'll help a little bit to win a world cup
6: <laughs> but, but I fell in love with them after only a couple of weeks, and it was instrumental in my own education of what it's like to be a gay guy in a straight sport, a yeah. gay guy in our community, whole sporting landscape.
3: Well, Darren Pert has been listening to this who I know you know very well, Neil. He's the captain of the Melbourne Chargers and a part which is, as you've just heard, is Melbourne's inclusive rugby team. Darren, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. I mean, you've been listening to a lot of this. Do you, alongside with Neil, hope that one day as much as the Chargers are legendary and are winning World Cups, do you hope that one day there's not a need for the Chargers?
0: Um. I mean, ideally, I mean, I would love to see the charger continue, but I 100% understand where Neil's coming from in saying that there does not need to be, like, we shouldn't be segregated in, in that way. Um, and that if rugby as a whole became completely inclusive and, you know, players were completely out and there was no slurring on the on the fields, then 100% that would be a great world to be in.
3: When you were playing not for the charges. How prolific is the slurring, is the homophobic slurring?
0: Um, So, I mean, personally, uh, on the field, I have never had someone directly slur at me, but I've heard it on the field many, many times. And the further we we go out in terms of outside of uh, uh, Melbourne, so the further we go out to more rural, uh, 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 the teams we play, then it's a little bit more evident.
3: And what do you have... I mean, people are often they know that it's wrong and they know that it's harmful and if somebody maybe hears it, even from the sidelines, do people know what to do, who to go to, who to report it to? Do you think, Darren?
0: So I think um, it definitely has to come from within the club and people need to be called out whenever it happens. And I think the teams that do uh, instigate the slurring um, they need that positive role models within their own clubs that can help um, break down those um, those barriers and those people that are that are slurring.
1: It's interesting, Darren, when you say that because I know you're not a scientist, and um, but mm. that's where the scientific community has landed. We've realised that. And even in workplaces as well, this whole idea of bringing an external consultant in or bringing anyone in, deliver some training, and things will change, we now know it doesn't. It doesn't work. So we really need to find ways to get sports clubs to challenge sexist, homophobic, racist behavior themselves um, because it won't happen unless, particularly the coaches, we need them to start driving change. Because a lot of these individuals don't even know uh, and I'd be curious of your view of this Darren because now you're a coach I don't think they even notice their own behaviour because they've just been doing it for so long yeah.
3: what works then what actually works
1: scientifically um, bizarrely and I if you'd asked me this four years ago, I just said not a chance, is pride games at the community level. And, you know, pride games seem to dramatically reduce the amount of homophobic and sexist and even racist language, so about 50% less at clubs that host these things. And so you think, well, these professional games, what's the point of those? And there doesn't seem to be much point, um, unless they're really focused on encouraging people in the community to host these games. So in, in an ideal world, we'd love to see every club around the world and we're working with Rugby Victoria to introduce a new version of that called the Respect Women and Girls Games um, because that we think will have the same effect. It's basically clubs deciding to do something right? When the club decides if we're going to be pro-LGBTQ, then the conversations around the language start. But until they decide to do something, these conversations will never start.
4: Darren, Matilda Morozzi here from, from the ABC. I wonder growing up I imagine you you really loved rugby did it feel like a welcoming environment for you as a a young boy or a teenager
0: um so i guess as a a younger player um in well rugby wasn't my i didn't play rugby when i was younger but i did play a lot of team sport um so i probably got introduced to rugby when i was uh in 2011 and charges was my introduction but but any sport any team sport There is a lot of this um, that happens on the ground when you're younger or a lot of slurring, a lot of, you know, words like faggots, you know, fag, poof, that goes out. It's just, it's been accepted for too long um, and I think the people that need to stop it are those that are in... um, in those coaching roles or you know you know um, people that are in a position of you know uh, the leaders so you know for example if the captains of, of each one of those teams would call out their players then you know that would be you know one step towards getting it to stop.
3: Before I ask Neil how you do that and how you coach coaches and you know the role of captains and you know we have these leadership teams especially when I'm thinking about the AFL as well but Darren how much do you think this type of behaviour, this type of offensive and harmful language stops young men and women, but at the moment it looks like young men, stop them from playing sport altogether?
0: Um, I reckon it would affect them a lot. So especially at a time when people are questioning, questioning their own sexuality, you know, generally, you know, usually in their teenage years or early 20s, um, yeah, if if you're walking onto a field and you are, you know, being berated by people while you're still unsure about yourself, and being called names and like, and then you go go off the field and you sit at home in your in a room, and question everything that um, you know that they've been saying, it's yeah, it's not a positive environment, and I think we need it needs to be stopped earlier on, and there needs to be more teaching, you know, of younger children, uh, you know, teenagers to. Um, have a more positive language.
6: Look, um, Darren, you reminded me of one or two stories when I first joined the Chargers and how difficult it was for the players. And that was one of the reasons why I became so involved off the pitch as well as on the pitch with the Chargers and what it stood for. Um, I was assumed to be gay by so many people because I coached the Chargers. I'm sort of the sort of character that doesn't worry about that anyway. But... It it is the assumption that there's something wrong with you to actually take that role rather than that's a positive thing to do for our society
3: so did you get pushback from people when you started
6: to coach the charges uh yeah from a minority of people yes definitely why do i want to do it what are you doing them why are you helping them fags? you know that sort of thing yeah there was definitely that sort of pushback
3: and look, just a gentle warning that there may be offensive and harmful language used today, and we do not want to offend anyone, but I guess at the heart of today's conversation is this language and that it is being used in a casualised way and out on the sporting field as well.
4: Um, something, Eric, that I was actually really interested in your research with some of the younger athletes is when you asked them if they used homophobic language, they said No but then when you put specific examples of homophobic slurs to them and have you used these words they would say yes i wonder what did you make of that
1: that was the most bizarre thing because when we first started our our research we thought let's just ask them you know have you heard homophobic language a little bit some you know sometimes a lot and we got like oh i never hear it but all the other research was showing it was used quite often so then we just took out the word homophobic. And we said, some people use words like fag, boof, those kinds of things. Um, Have you heard the following people use words like this? And have you used words like this in the past two weeks? And that's when it was like 60% have used it, 70% have heard it. And it's a bit like the N-word, right? When people use it, it's like, oh, I'm not racist. I'm just using it as a rap song or whatever, right? It doesn't matter what your intent is. It's the impact that matters.
4: Why do you think they're using... The words, if they're not, if it's not because they're homophobic or they think that they're not trying to insult people, why are they using it?
1: Yeah, Yeah, so they so the boys start hearing this language being used by coaches um, and older men and boys at around eight years old in sport environments specifically, and it's a it's we've known for about thirty years that it's kind of a performative thing. It's like I'm using this to prove to others I'm a tough guy I'm a man I'm one of the group I'm here and I belong and it's interesting we've actually knocked it down significantly in schools so we know we can cut this language down so it's gone from about 60% of kids using it in schools about 10 years ago to about 20% now it's still 60% in sport and really it's because you know in testament to rugby they're one of the ones doing something about this but sport really hasn't done anything to change it whereas in schools teachers are making an effort except for PE teachers.
3: Eric Dennison is with you from Monash University and the lead researcher into a landmark study in homophobic language as is Neil Hay the president of Rugby Victoria. Darren Pert is with you as well captain of the Melbourne Chargers which is an openly inclusive and gay rugby team here in Melbourne plenty of texts on this this Uh, Morning Rochelle and Matilda and guests. My brother came out to his cricket club where he played for 10 years after a fellow teammate said to him that if he didn't do so himself, he would do it. It was a nightmare and the teasing was relentless so he decided not to play again This was three years ago and he's in his mid-twenties. He was captain at the time and at several times had won the Best Player Award. Sadly, it's also affected his mental health. That's from Anonymous.
4: And there was another text they said, I transitioned eight years ago, but just prior to my transition, I stopped going to my club. I'm too scared and I'm not sure what would happen. And and they want to be anonymous, but they've been quite involved in that club by the sounds of it and, and left before they transitioned, probably fearful of something like happened to that other person
3: and i know you eric you played in the convicts in sydney and i know when we say that the charges are inclusive darren it really is isn't it i mean i was looking through a lot of uh, your websites and you know it pretty much says if you want to come come down come on down i mean when you read through some of the texts that we're getting and hopefully we'll be able to read through <laughs> more of them these life changing decisions for people to say well I need to decide between whether or not I want to come out if I'm going to feel comfortable with that and not playing sport or if I want to come out but I don't know the reaction that I'm going to get and how safe I'm going to feel. Or then on top of it, we're hearing, and this is what happened to you, Eric, somebody else takes it upon themselves to out you or threaten you with outing. I mean, there's just so many elements to this, but to to have a place where people can come and play and feel welcome, I guess that's why we still need the charges. Hey, Darren?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's good that we, you know, we have that opportunity for people to come down and, and 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 be themselves, you know, and if they're unable to do that in, you know, the team that they're already in, then, you know, 100%, like, you know, it's great that we still have, you know, teams like the Chargers and the Convicts and all the other ones out there uh, and all the ones that we have um, within all different types of sport. So it's great that there are beacons for people out there, 100%. Yeah.
6: Um, don't sort of misunderstand what I said earlier on I still believe in the charges, and there's oh, a place for all yes, of them at of the course. moment um, but when I first started coaching we did a Rugby 101 um, and these, pe- these young men were coming to try out rugby but what was overwhelmingly uh, uh, obvious to me was these guys had never tried team sport ever because they'd never felt safe some of them were in their 30s, and they'd never played a team sport just in case they were outed, just in case they got mm. teased, their lives were made a misery. And it had a big emotional impact mm. on me. Yeah, now I just had why. a complete
3: physical reaction to that, actually. And it was That's so confronting.
6: But it, mm. but it was a massive education for me. It was something that made me realize, if I don't do it, who will? And I'm just part of the, the whole overall thing that the charges have been able to give.
3: Just finally, Darren, there's a text here that says, I'm surprised to hear that education doesn't work. Our work with pride in sport, having conversations and education with our staff has been so important to start this conversation as a business. It's actually what's required to improve our environment. What will help, do you think, Darren, just finally? I mean, what sort of education actually helps? Because you can tick the box, right, and say, yes, we had that hour-and-a-half-long Zoom meeting on, you know, how to be yada, 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 but does it help?
0: I think, yeah, I think any conversation is a good conversation about it, okay? So that way people are actually having to think about it. And, but I think wholeheartedly the education needs to be turned around about um, people feeling safe enough to call things out when they know that what's being said can actually mentally or even physically harm someone, because you never know what you might say might end up with someone going home and it's the final straw. And you know, and you know, yeah, yeah, so, say, yeah. yeah. It's 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 a tough. It's a really tough conversation the and, and and there's no easy answer. But it's amazing that like Neil has been a trailblazer in in fostering such a positive experience for all of our players and creating change not only within you know the charges, but just the the rugby community at large. So people like him need to be one hundred percent thanked for um, his voice and being able to to you know create change where change wasn't even happening.
3: Beautifully said, Darren, thanks for your time. Thank you. Darren Pert is the captain of the Melbourne Chargers. You're on The Conversation Hour. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Matilda Marozzi is your co-host today. Eric Dennison is with you, as is Neil Hay, the president of Rugby Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So do you still hear homophobic language at your local sporting club or when you go to professional sports? And what helps? What helps change behaviour? Ambassadors, pride rounds. Do any of those types of things make a difference in reducing harmful behaviour and harmful language? You mentioned PE earlier, Eric, and PE teachers here are talking about saying as a PE teacher in regional Victoria. I find it hard to believe what you're saying about PE teachers. That's been my experience. My son is gay and... I've taught with quite a few different PE teachers as well. Is it changing within the school environment? Because maybe the education, the conversations in schools is better than pure sporting environments?
1: I'd like to hope so, but Monash is the number one education school in the country and I think in Asia-Pacific, and we teach a lot of PE teachers. And they tell me they really struggle to challenge this behavior, they don't know how. And so while there might be some, the data doesn't lie. 98% of kids in PE class have heard homophobic language. And what's really concerning to us, and you think, well, why is Monash, a big university interested in something like this? It's because we are a medical school, first and foremost, and kids are taking their own lives because of this language. So in that same study by Beyond Blue, they found just hearing the language, things like, that's gay, not even the slurs, that's gay, increase their risk of suicide and self harm. So just hearing those casual comments increase the risk, you no know, wonder kids are leaving sport. Um, so I'd like to hope PE teachers are doing well, but I think it might be the same phenomena as kids where they're not hearing the language.
3: And as always, we say, keep this number saved in your phone, which is Lifeline thirteen eleven fourteen. It's always for you. And there is someone there ready for your calls 24 seven.
4: And I wondered, it seemed like when Darren was talking about some of the work
3: Neil had done, it was
4: really powerful to him to have an ally speaking out um, for his community Uh, I wonder Eric how can people be allies if they want to be supportive but they don't really know what the right thing to say is or maybe they don't know how to intervene if there's some inappropriate language being used do you have ideas about how to be a good ally
1: it's hard (laughs) number one Um, but guys need to start we call it social capital right so if you are a head coach if you are a captain start using your social capital to help other people right so the women's teams are often given the worst fields and worst facilities go step up do something about it it's your job the language that's being used go step up you you know most people around you actually want this behavior to stop that's what we keep finding is that most men most boys actually want more positive environments more sport environments they just think everyone else around them doesn't feel the same way so the majority want to change someone needs to do take the effort to change it um but that's, you know, it's hard to do.
3: This text says, I was outed by another student when I was 14 and I was in, attending an exclusive private school in Sydney in the 1970s. I never did team sport or PE again.
1: And that's the impact, right? Lifelong impacts that happen. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, even Neil talking about how complex these things are. I know that trans player who is talking about who joined the Chargers, that player faced discrimination when they first joined the Chargers, right? So even in the Chargers, they faced discrimination and they weren't sure. Now, they're eventually embraced, but it sort of shows how complex sport is in terms of this group behavior that goes on and sort of worrying. Does it in
3: start It's always been a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I mean, let's say you want to have a life as sport, either as a player or as a coach or someone that wants to work within a sports doctor, whatever it may be. PE is going to be like the class that you love and the class that you want to go to and the one that you're not skipping. When we talk about education, can we start within PE class, the one that I was trying to skip?
6: Why why not? But um I'm... I'm probably older, a lot older than anybody else here in this, uh, on this debate, in the studio anyway. But um, I go back right to the 60s, and we, it wasn't, we can make a difference, we can change. Think how we've changed language on discrimination by yeah. race, how we have stopped using bad language around disability.
1: Mm. We
3: have. We've changed dramatically. Yeah. We've and probably dramatically. in the last yeah. So we
6: have been positive, we can yeah. do it.
3: Bo Newell is the National Program Manager of Pride in Sport Australia. <laughs> Bo, you've been listening to a lot of this, and when we talk about sporting inclusion programs and what works to assist organisations to change bad behaviour, to change bad language, what do you believe works?
5: Uh, first of all, good morning, and um, hey, uh, Rochelle, Matilda, Eric Neil. Um, Look, for me, I think it's a number of different things, and you know, some of the work that we do at Pride and Sport is real critical around education. So, to some of the points that Eric mentioned, and you know, I should um, say first and foremost that we we rely quite a lot on the research that um, people such as Eric do in this space to guide the work um, that we help support our sporting organisations. Um, and we know, even from the organisations that we've worked with, that sports who choose to focus on creating a more inclusive culture through things like education, awareness, and engagement can actually produce outstanding results. And so we've seen with those that we've worked with in Pride and Sport that um, 85% of uh, respondents in, in our annual survey believe that work in this LGBTQ inclusion space um, is critical to improve the sporting culture. Um, but a lot of it actually comes down to the sporting entity themselves too, as to what their goals are. So we kind of play, play the middle guy a little bit as to what the research tells us and what evidence we know works. Um, and trying to influence that with the sporting organisation who may also have their own strategic plan and their own goals as well.
3: Who do you think has more power to create change? Is it grassroots? Is it working from the ground up? Or is it big professional organisations and working from the top down? There's a text here that says, we're tree changers and my son's Melbourne footy club was so far advanced for inclusiveness for all compared to our country town. This is a large-ish country town with an advancing left-leaning population. So change is long and slow. Where are you witnessing the most change or who potentially has the most power for change grassroots or professional
5: look i think that's a brilliant question but my answer probably is not going to please you rochelle and the fact that i think everyone's got a role to play i mean eric proves some really great points and we know this through the likes of you know the melbourne charges that we've heard where we have some leading community organizations that are doing exceptionally well, and I would even say are doing much better than some national sporting bodies. But on the flip side, we we can't just leave it up to the community to do work in this space. It's critical that both national, state sporting bodies um, and everywhere in between also um, has that role to play as well.
1: It's interesting, Bo, because someone earlier asked about education. And so I think, you know, and and there are points where we disagree and agree. And I think what you're doing with the state and national bodies is really important because it's getting them across the line. But where we're seeing the gap is that next step. They're not actually doing anything in the communities to drive change. So they go to these seminars and think, oh, great, now I know all about LGBTQ inclusion. I'm good. And because I've gone to the seminar, that is like doing something. I guess that's
3: like any workplace too where there's box ticking. You know, okay, so we've done our inclusion seminar, so we're okay now. We've done this. Or quotas. You know, the quotas is something that can be debated.
6: It's, well... um, We've been working with Monash in terms of exactly that question. How how do we make a difference? Is it box ticking and then we get some money in from the government or from another body which helps us produce our competitions? If you go back only 20 years ago, Rugby Victoria had very few things it had to do. It had to provide referees, Provide a competition framework and give some trophies out at the end of the season. <laughs> and pretty much, that was it. Cut <laughs> up
3: oranges, <laughs> sure.
1: No, no, the clubs did that. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's the minor part of your job, I'm guessing. Totally the minor part. You know, whether
6: it's wheelchair rugby, women in rugby, making sure that it's a safe environment for girls. Um, we have our own diversity and inclusion officer now, which is groundbreaking. What we're doing with wheelchair rugby is groundbreaking probably on a world stage we have. Our clubs have af- affiliations with the wheelchair rugby community, but it's important that we do this because we understand that sport is good physically for people, I, but it's also I good mentally.
5: I, I think that's a really good point. And, and this is the part to go back to your question, Michelle, in terms yeah. of, you know, who has the role to play here. Um, I mean, th- this is always, always going to be a contentious issue in Australia, at least for the, the foreseeable future as to, you know, the role that national sporting bodies or professional sports play in this space. And, You know, we've got to consider the massive scale of Australian professional sport that change within these organisations and culture at the top end will always take time and and just as much as it will at community level as well. But expecting things to change drastically within a short period of time is unrealistic. So for us, we need to make sure that the conversations happen. So Eric is 100% right. We can't go in and deliver one-off training it just doesn't work we've known that for a long time and you know we've even seen from the work that we've done as well if we are able to engage with sporting entities no matter what sort they are on a regular basis helping them around education and training improving their policies which again we know there is a significant amount of research that says that there needs to be policy improvements in here so that we can encourage and enforce coaches for example to actually stamp out the homophobia but it comes from a different, uh, lots of different angles too and I guess the education in this space um, will always be evolving.
4: Uh, Bo, I'm just wondering, so Pride in Sport, understand, is a not-for-profit. How do you work with sporting organisations? Who are you working with and what's the organisation doing?
5: Sure. So we, uh, at present, we work with uh, approximately 100 sporting organisations across the country um, and they range from national sporting bodies to state sporting bodies, uh, universities um, and professional clubs and in a lot of cases the work that we do is guided by the pride of sport index so it's a national in, uh, benchmarking instrument that allows sporting organizations to actually measure how inclusive they are when it comes to LGBTQ inclusion work and this index this benchmarking tool was excuse me co-designed uh, between ACON the largest LGBTQ health organization in the country Um, the Australian Sports Commission and the Australian Human Rights Commission and it covers off on areas like I mentioned before around education, around governance development, around community engagement, around research Um, and I suppose the short answer is the work that we do with sports is very different and very unique depending on the organisation themselves but um, as a priority for us um, I I guess policy development and education are two key critical areas that we uh, encourage sports to make sure that they do work in.
1: Yeah, and I think the work that they're doing is great. But here's the problem. There's a big difference between talking to someone in Sydney and a national sport organization and the community. And so the solution, we think, if you want to know what the solution we're sort of Monash has moved to now is that, and if you're listening and you're a local councillor or you're a mayor or you're friends with the local councillor and mayor, we think the, the Royal Commission on Institutional Responses to Child Abuse, they made a brilliant recommendation. Local councils are responsible for delivering sport these uh, uh, behaviors that are so harmful are occurring on local council owned property so really it's up to local councils they can drive change really quickly the first thing is facility use agreement so making sure to put in there that you now have requirements to ensure these behaviors are not occurring and guess what local councils are really good at regulation (laughs) and they're excellent so it's quite you know what we don't want them is to come on a heavy hand on sports clubs there's going to have to be a few years of of, um, sports safety officers safe sport officers to help clubs figure out how to do this. What's the
3: likelihood of something like that happening?
1: Well, I mean, it's works in Vancouver. So Vancouver is introducing it right now. Um, similar model has been uh, in the Netherlands. Um, interestingly, Australia came up with this idea, but we're, we're we haven't done it, it yet.
3: Front.
4: <laughs> okay. And Eric, um, you know, I think you've made it clear why it's important for young people playing sport to do this work. But do you think it's important for the sports themselves to be doing this work, to be more inclusive?
1: Someone asked me this yesterday, isn't it great that women's sports growing so much in traditional male sports? And I said, I, unfortunately, it wasn't um, altruistic of the guys in charge. They realized their sports were going to die if they didn't get women involved. So it was purely a business decision, badged up as as kind of a social good initiative. So um, if they didn't really see their, their participation rates declining dramatically, they wouldn't have done anything. But they did, and they realized, oh, right. Um, you know, like a lot of the times in in society, just add women and stir. You know, let's let's bring women into the environment; that will solve our problems. So it's um, good
4: for the it's good for the sports if there's more people involved and by being welcoming.
1: Yeah, and you it's, give it really more helps. people opportunities. Having <laughs> women in sports has just grown sports so much. Who would have thought? Imagine hey? that fifty percent of the population <laughs> having them in supporting them, and so it's been great. So I think now a lot of the guys have come around. They've realized yes, this is the right thing to do.
3: Bo Newell, thanks for your time. We appreciate it pleasure. National Program Manager at Pride Sport in Australia. So many texts on this as well and we spoke about you know what works what doesn't what helps is it token not token and here's something that's kind of outside of sport but it's from Elizabeth and it says visibility is really important to me we have an LGBTIQ plus flag out the front of our house I've done so for years we had a party at our house where the entire neighborhood came one teen came to me and told me just knowing she had an ally in the street because of our flag made a crucial difference to her when she was tempted to harm herself. You just never know the good that you can do and imagine being a famous athlete and the impact that they could have. That's from Elizabeth. Just finally, as we wrap up this show, Eric, this is, and it's been called Landmark Research. It's just been published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. This is just one of the many, you know, research papers that you've done on this. It is quite honestly your life's work and something that you'll continue to do. Do you think that this particular... Body of research that's come out will make a difference.
1: Yeah, and I think the reason why is I've seen so much change just in the research community. There's so many more people interested in this topic, and there's so many more people like Neil willing to do this. We estimated we've probably provided about a million dollars of in-kind support to rugby in Australia, and it's because they've opened their doors. They've been willing to work with us, which is something that sports were not willing to do. So. I think we'll see change, and I, th- I think it's only a matter of a few years.
3: Well, Neil Hay, the President of Rugby Victoria, I have to confess to you, I don't know a lot about rugby. Learn. I've got <laughs> After meeting you and spending time with you and the changes that you're making, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm going to absolutely learn because it's important for me to know. I mean, I'm a St Kilda supporter. I love that they're a part of the Pride round. They've got some other issues. Let's not go into that. But, mm-hmm. you know... I think people care more about who they associate themselves with, the allies that we make and what they stand for. You must be incredibly proud of the work that you and that Rugby Victoria are doing.
6: Um, I think we have to take the opportunity we've got as as the sporting body to work with all our community and that means being diverse and being inclusive. So it just comes as i don't know for me anyway and my board it comes as a second nature that we try and do everything for all our community so it it, it doesn't feel feel special to us it feels like what we have to do you're being so (laughs) modest you've taken a
1: huge risk with this research like it's a massive risk you know just for the record afl knocked us back so that's the challenge, right? In terms of like rugby said yes, come on in. AFL, it was a nightmare to try and get them across. Eric, the line. you've
6: known me many years. You know I love a challenge. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I think
3: there's a lot of sporting codes that have a lot to learn from what you're both doing. Eric Dennison, Neil Hay. Thanks so much for your time in thank the conversation you. hour today. Matilda Marozzi, your co-host today. Thank you. Let's give some numbers if people have been listening and they want to reach out. There is a support line. It's Q Life. It's one 800 184 it's 1-800-184-527. And of course, Lifeline is thirteen eleven fourteen. Matilda, you'll have a piece online on digital tomorrow that we'll be looking into exactly what we've been talking about today.
4: Yeah, really interesting case study from Ocean Grove. So people can find that on the ABC News website tomorrow.
3: Thanks so much for your company. I'll be back with you on Monday. Until then, take care, be kind to one another. Look forward to speaking with you.